0: We're turning tonight in our Bibles to John chapter 9, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses. John chapter 9. Let's hear the Word of God. John chapter 9, we'll read from verse 1 through to 12. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither has this man sinned, nor his parents But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me, while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And said unto him Go wash in the pool of Siloam Which is by interpretation sent He went his way therefore And washed And came seeing The neighbours therefore And they which before had seen him That he was blind said Is not this he that sat and begged Some said This he is he Others said he is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How were thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay, and anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received my sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not Now my text tonight is taken from John chapter 4 John chapter 9 verses 4 through to 7 It reads as follows, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed, and came seeing. Now I've entitled this message tonight, taking the title from a message that we brought at the uh, time of prayer earlier uh, last week, the light of the world at work. You see, John chapter 9 is all about a wonderful miracle performed by the Lord Jesus Christ on a man blind from his birth. Now remember, John, under the guidance and superintendence of the Holy Spirit, is very selective in the miracles he records of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to make it clear. The Lord Jesus performed a multitude of miracles during his three and a half years of public ministry. It could run into tens of thousands. Yet amazingly, and in the purposes of God, there's only 35 recorded for us in the whole of the Gospels. Now the apostle John is led to select Just a few of those miracles. And he does so because he links every miracle with the teaching of the doctrine of God Himself and the way of salvation. Thus, this miracle in John 9 is about the opening of a blind man's eyes, a notable and unique event. A man born blind. And now he says, I can see. And I want to link it into the words in verse 5, where Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, just before the miracle, there was a conversation about this poor blind man between Christ and his disciples. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. He, He took notice of him. The Lord Jesus saw him. That means he pitied him. That means he regarded his state, his condition. That means he had love and compassion and mercy on him. His disciples asked him a question. Who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said in verse three. Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now this is a general statement. And after he made that general statement, he added an additional statement, another tremendous statement, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And after making that wonderful proclamation, he proceeded to give sight to the poor blind man. Now let me point out that blindness, I believe, is a dreadful affliction. It's one of the worst to befall any human being. We would have to say it was unfortunate and sad that this poor man had been blind from his birth all his life. When he was a baby, when he was a child walking about, when he was a youth teenager, when he went into adulthood, he lived in total perpetual darkness. And let me add, young people, he received no help from the state. There's no disability living allowance in the first century, nor was there any guide dog. There's no cane provided, no aid, no assistance. This was a dreadful plight and affliction to befall this man a desperate situation for the man to be in he was dependent on others in society to help him how did he earn his living he sat begging where did he beg outside the gate of the temple people coming in and out of worship would have pity and compassion on him and i have no doubt people gave to him and i have no doubt when they saw him they thanked god you know lord I'm grateful I'm not like him. And they assumed that some great evil must have befallen him or his parents to have been afflicted in this way. This must have been as a result of a punishment from God for sin. Now the Lord Jesus totally rejects that man-made deduction. He totally rejects that evil thought. He, He totally rejects the working of that humanistic logic. Keep in the context The Lord Jesus wasn't teaching that this man or his parents were sinless That would contradict Romans 3 and 23 The Bible says there's none righteous, Romans 3 and 11 But what he was stating was this There was no particular sin committed by this man Or by his parents For God to manifest his wrath That resulted in this man being born blind Now, what is the message of John chapter 9? Is it not this, that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, is the only one who can open eyes that are blind? And he opens those eyes that are blind for the glory of God and he not be deterred, distracted from that work. As I thought of this message tonight, following on from what we said at the prayer meeting a few nights ago, I thought of four things. First of all, I want you to think of the divinity of the light at work. Look at verse 5. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Here's his true identity. I am the light of the world. He has already told us that in John 8 and verse 12. Then Jesus, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And that is a powerful and a wonderful statement. And that statement, I am the light of the world, can only be made by God Himself. Only true divinity or true deity could make such a claim. And that's a help to emphasize the true and essential deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, seven times in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus made this statement. They're all in John's gospel. Let me read them out to you. John 6 and 48, I'm the bread of life. John 8 and 12, which I read, I am the light of the world. John 10 and 9, I'm the door. John 10 and 11, I am the good shepherd. John 11, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. John 14 and 6, I am the way. John 15 and 1, I am the true vine. And we link up the words I am with Exodus chapter 13, verse 13, when God revealed his name to Moses. Moses asked, who are you? What's your name? Who will I say sent me? And here was the answer. I am that I am. God calls himself I am. The one who is self-existent. The one who's eternal. The one who's without beginning of days or, or end of days. The context is here, if you look at John chapter 8, verse 58. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. We read in verse 59, "...then took they up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by." And as Jesus passed by. Now, here's the context. When Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, there was those religious leaders in the temple... So angry at Christ, so upset, so mad at his preaching and his teaching, so so mad at him claiming to be God because they understood he was taking the name of God to himself. And I have no doubt that his preaching and teaching caused a great stir and upheaval in the temple. And you can just imagine when they picked up stones to throw at him. Where is he? Did you see him? Did you see him? Did he go past you? See, they were looking to throw stones at Christ. And the Lord Jesus is on his way out of that dangerous situation. From a human point of view, we can say, well, he slipped away, no doubt anxious, slipped away quickly and quietly. Maybe looking over his shoulder, determined to get far away. He hadn't time for anything else, he wasn't going to stop. That's the picture. And yet as he leaves, he fixes his eyes on a blind man at the gate. As I've said, blind from birth. And he has compity and compassion on him. He's determined to help him. He's determined to heal him. He's determined to bring this man to himself. Contrast the actions of the religious leaders of the day. Hatred of Christ to stone him. Because he claimed to be God. And the actions of the Redeemer. With a profound disregard for His enemies his own safety and well-being. He wanted to help a poor blind man. Think of his calm, composed, compassionate, caring activity. He stopped to heal a poor blind man. He wasn't going to be disturbed, distracted, deterred from the work that he'd come to do. Why? Because he's the light of the world. He said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And light is essential to life. Light produces life. I am the light of life, he said, John 8, 12. The Lord Jesus is a living, spiritual, true light. And as the true light that's come into the world, he can produce life. Isn't this what John said of him in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5? In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. It's interesting that he refers to the work of God in John 9. But that the works of God should be made manifest in him, I must work the works of him that sent me. See, remember he says in Luke 2, 49, ye not I must be about my father's business? And over there in Hebrews chapter 10, which is a tremendous verse, in the verse 7, we read these words, Then said I, this is Christ speaking, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. You see, man's hatred cannot frustrate the work and will of God In the display of grace and mercy. God tonight is always at work. He's working out His eternal plan and purpose. God is at work tonight, even in this service. The light of the world is still at work. The Lord Jesus, I believe, is not surprised at the attitude and actions of ungodly men. He's not sad or puzzled because they've rejected Him. No, He calls out to sinners. He he chooses sinners to be converted so that he can be transformed by the power of his free sovereign grace. The devil tonight cannot frustrate the work of God in saving souls. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God is at work. And if that is true tonight, then let's make God's work our work. Let's think about the state of lost souls. And even their state cannot stop and frustrate the progress of the work of God. Human sin, rebellion, cannot frustrate and stop the work of God. Even the devil cannot frustrate and stop the work of God. The divinity of the light at work. Secondly, the necessity of the light at work. Why did the Lord Jesus come? Think of this statement, I am the light of the world. One reason, to shine in darkness, to give light, to produce life, because the light is the life of man. And this poor blind man from birth, I believe, is a picture of the state of lost souls apart from the saving work and the light-giving power of Christ. The blind man, therefore, is a picture of everyone who is unsaved. And if you're unsaved tonight, then you can't see Christ. What are these Christians excited about? What are they talking about? You see, there's no beauty in him that you should desire him. This man didn't see the Lord Jesus physically. Remember, he's totally and perpetually in the dark. I, I told a story on Tuesday night or Wednesday night that... One particular preacher in the U.S. was in a particular hotel, the same hotel as the blind singer Ray Charles. That was the man that originally wrote the song Crazy Love. And he thought he would stop by and say hello, and he knocked on the door of the hotel room. A voice yelled out, come on in. When he went in, Ray Charles was in the bathroom. He was shaving with an electric razor. There was no lights on. The place was in pitch darkness, and he called out in the darkness, hey, Ray, why are you shaving in the dark? And here was the reply because I do everything in the dark, brother. You see, a blind man couldn't see Christ. And those that are spiritually blind are dead in trespasses and sin. And because they're spiritually blind, they're darkened in the understanding. And because of their condition, they're diseased in their affections. They live every day in a dark world, totally and spiritually in the dark. And if you're out of Christ tonight, sad to say, in your natural state, naturally you dwell in darkness. And that darkness produces death. What did the blind man need? Well, he didn't need some information. And he didn't need DLA or some state aid, a cane or a dog. He didn't merely... Uh, need an assistant to, to lead him by the hand and say well, well come on with me he needed a miracle of sight and only the Lord Jesus can give you that light that spiritual light so that you can see him and seek him this man not only could not see Christ he couldn't see Christ because he was a blind man The Bible says there's none seeketh after God. And how many have a false view of God and a false view of the gospel and a false view of Christ and a false view of life itself. What is life all about? Making money? Just making a glutton of yourself and eating food and wearing fancy clothes and and having a house and a shelter and a car. Oh, yes, that's part of physical life, but there's so much more. The Lord Jesus found this man sitting begging blind and when he saw him he had pity and compassion and mercy on him and he sought him out to bring him to himself see this man wasn't aware he maybe didn't even care about his condition and how many of people who are spiritually blind are not aware they're spiritually blind they don't care about it it's not an issue and yet it's a very real condition and the wonderful message of the gospel is this that the living and the true god sent his only begotten Son into the world for the express purpose of opening the eyes of those that are spiritually blind. The Lord Jesus came to give sight to those who sit in darkness. Natural man, the Bible tells us, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And it's only when the Lord Jesus opens the eyes you begin to see your need of Christ. Who he is and what he's like and what he's done. There's the necessity of the light of the world at work. Think of the sovereignty of the light of the world at work. Now think of these disciples. They're having a wee theological discussion. They think they're being smart. Maybe a bit like the students of the Whitfield College of the Bible, or or the ministers of the gospel, including myself. Who sinned? See, that was in their mind. And in their mind, like many others who passed by the temple gate and saw the blind man begging, they linked the man's physical condition with his spiritual condition. Let me state it clearly. In their minds, this man's physical condition and outward circumstances, there was a direct connection. But I want to tell you tonight, according to the Lord Jesus, this man's physical condition and outward circumstances and situation was not a sure guide to a spiritual state or condition. Nobody could link with certainty and accuracy that the man's temporal and physical state was linked to his spiritual state. It's not a sure guide. And these disciples and many others ended up making a mistake because they they had a false assumption. Do you know the poor blind man who was sitting there as they passed by heard this discussion? That must have brought a pang to his heart. They're talking about me. And they're saying my physical condition is linked to my spiritual condition. The man's hearing was good. You see, this was a common Jewish belief. There's a direct link between sin and suffering. Either the man sinned or his parents sinned. Blindness is a punishment. For some sin in the past. And I want to tell you, people who look on individuals who are suffering physically today do a link in their mind between sin and suffering. And they think that some punishment from God has come upon the individual because the individual is suffering some form of illness or disability. Now, I want to make it clear tonight, listen to me carefully, That is a pagan assumption at work in their hearts and minds. Suffering in this life is not necessarily retribution for sin in this life or in the past life. In Luke Luke 13, when 18 people died suddenly because a tower fell on them without warning as they were working people thought that they were bigger sinners than others. Or when the Roman governor Pilate came upon Jews that rebelled against him whenever they were offering the evening sacrifices and the soldiers came upon them and killed them and their blood was mingled with the blood of the sacrifice, people thought these people were worse sinners than others that lived in Jerusalem. Remember, these are days without news, no papers, no state TV, no internet. And they assumed, because of this incident of the tar, 18 people dead without warning, or these people that were butchered to death by the Roman soldiers who were really rebelling against Roman authority, they assumed that the people involved had sinned a great sin against God in some terrible way. And they took comfort. Well, well we haven't done that. And we're, we're better than them. And we're more righteous. And we're not as bad. Listen to me tonight, you young people, listen. Your temporal state is no guide to your spiritual life. The Lord Jesus said about both sets of people, those that the tar fell on and those that were killed by Pilate's soldiers, except you repent, you will likewise perish. The problem of human suffering in the world, it's as old as man itself. It goes all the way back to the entrance of sin. The lot of all men is to live, suffer, and die. It's the common experience of all. Not one of us is exempt. Physical suffering is transitory. It's just for a little while. Light of eternity. Physical suffering is in the realm of God's sovereignty. And the model for human suffering and pain is the Lord Jesus. He's the man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He's the one who's despised and rejected of man. In our physical suffering, we have an opportunity to get alone with God and ask for his help and his wisdom and his grace and strength. You see, there's no easy answer to human suffering. Why have we got folks who are suffering in their body tonight in the church? It's tied into God's sovereignty we have no easy answer and you see I know there's those in our society and in our country who tell us that it's not God's will for um, Christians to to suffer or to be ill God wants us to be healthy and wealthy uh, and enjoy the fruit of our labor and we're meant to be in health and strength every day of our life and, and that's contrary to the teaching of the Bible we could bring Job into the pulpit we could bring Epaphroditus into the pulpit. We could bring Timothy into the pulpit. Remember, Epaphroditus was nigh unto death. Timothy had a stomach problem. And uh, we, we could bring uh, Jotham into the pulpit. Uh, and we read, because of something that happened in his life, the Lord smote him. Physical suffering can be corrective. It can be constructive. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 and in the verse um, uh, 67, Psalm 119, and verse uh, 67, the uh, psalmist uh, made this uh, tremendous statement. He, he says, "Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now have I kept Thy word." But let me tell you something else about physical suffering. Physical suffering can be for the glory of God, and physical suffering can become a matter for prayer an opportunity to exercise faith in the Lord and pray, Lord, help me in grace. The best of saints on occasions have struggled with illness. The best of saints have known sickness. And in that context, they've they've labored on in the will of God for his purposes. Why did this blind man suffer affliction from his birth? What did the Lord Jesus say? but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. In other words, it was for the glory of God. I want you to close tonight if you thought about the divinity of the light at work. And we thought about the necessity of the light at work and the sovereignty of the light at work. Think about the speciality of the light at work. The Lord Jesus as the light of the world can open the eyes of a blind man. He saw him at the temple gate. He reached out to him to grant him the gift of sight and life. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Notice how he did it. He spat on the ground. He made a wee mud pie. He anointed the man's eyes. And then he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Why why not just touch him? Why not just speak a word? Why use clay? Put it in his eyes. Does it not tie into Genesis chapter 2 and the verse 7? Remember what we read there in Genesis 2 and verse 7? And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a, a living soul. The Lord thy God is thy maker and creator, in him you live, you're dependent on him. And the dust of the ground, the little mud clay would remind at this poor blind man that he was dependent on God as creator and maker. And then he sent them to the pool of Siloam. Isn't that what we read there? And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation Sent. Is there not a play here in words? Is the Lord Jesus not the one sent by the Father into the world as the light of the world? And then he said to him, "Um, go wash. Not only go to the pool, but you've got to literally wash the mud away. Do you see the connection that the man's cleaning the mud off? Remember, we talked about water this morning that that not only cleanses, but nourishes and sanctifies. Our brother David going out told me a little story of a missionary out in Africa, and they had come to the missionary, and they talked about difficulty they had in reading the Bible and uh, taking it into their mind and understanding it and retaining it and meditating upon it. And they said, we we want to stop. We we feel it's no benefit to us. So she sent them to, um, must have been the river nearby. And she said to them, I want you to take this basket. I want you to go down to the river. I want you to dip it into the water. And I want you to fill it up. And then bring the water up to me. Okay, ma'am. And away they went. And they did that. The time they got to the door with the missionary lived. The water was gone it had run out of the basket because there was holes in the basket you can just get the picture and back they went again and then the third time and the fourth time and eventually they come back and said look it's no good the water's not staying in the basket and she says I know that but look how clean it is see every time you dip it in it's getting cleaner and that's the same with the word of God now you're clean through the word that I have spoken unto you That This this washing of water by the word Is very important The the spiritually blind man Was sent to wash In a pool called sent And everyone who's spiritually blind If they wash In the one who's called sent Sent by God The Lord Jesus They'll receive their sight Was this not a unique way Of dealing with individuals The Lord Jesus doesn't Used the same method every time. Opening the eyes using clay. See, here's another thought. When he made the little clay, put it in the man's eyes, he was accused of breaking the Sabbath day rules of the Pharisees. If they were mad before, they're mad again. But he wasn't interested in their man-made rules. Here's another thing. If you turn over there as we finish to Matthew 11... It says in verse 2, Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Verse 4, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. What things did they hear and see? Notice verse 5, Matthew 11 verse 5. The blind received their sight. And the lame walk The lepers are cleansed And the deaf hear The dead are raised up And the poor have the gospel preached unto them And blessed is he Whosoever shall not be offended in me Notice Here's proof That I'm the Messiah I have the power To open the eyes of the blind It was the psalmist that said In Psalm 146 and verse 8 He made the uh, tremendous uh, statement Um, about opening the eyes of the blind, Psalm 140, six, 6, verse 8. And this is what the Bible says, the Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. I I like that. It ties into Isaiah 35. You see, he's a great savior. And this miracle couldn't be hidden because the man, he confessed he, he acknowledged whenever he's asked the question in John's gospel about what happened to him. This is what he said I am he. A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed and I received my sight. In other words, now I see. That was his testimony. Let me ask as we finish. Have you such a testimony tonight? If the goal of the gospel is to display and bring glory to God. In the saving of sinners by opening the eyes of those that are spiritually blind. Has that been your experience? Have you discovered the divinity of the light of the world? Have you realized the necessity of why he's come? He's come to give me sight. And I'm spiritually blind. Thank you Lord Jesus. And you're sovereign. And I thank you that you do this special work. You do it exclusively, you do it alone. Lord, do this work in me. He opened the eyes of the blind man. Is your spiritually eyes opened to spiritually see Christ in your need of him as a great Savior tonight?